What is up, People First Leaders? My name is Chris Lin, and I am your advocate and host for the Leading People First podcast, where we are set to transform the workplace. I'm happy you're tuning in and joining me on this journey as we talk about leadership and its effect on the employee experience. Did you know that you can give a People First Leader a shout out here on the podcast? Check out the listen page on our website, leadingpeoplefirst.com, and share some praise that you have for that amazing leader in your life, and I'll be sure to highlight that person in a future episode. As I first started honing in on this podcast and the employee experience and the critical factors that affect the employee experience, I very quickly came to the conclusion that leadership, regardless of title or authority, was the primary driver for a positive experience. When we look at leaders, we often think about the things that they have to do for others, but who's caring for the leaders? In today's work environment, we are requiring leaders to take on a huge burden, and this makes it critical for leaders to be self-aware, mindful of their emotions, and to highlight self-care. This is why I wanted to talk with Thomas Rosenberg, the founder and chief calming officer at Regenerate Coaching. Thomas loves helping people grow and flourish by rediscovering what's truly important to them. The majority of his career has been helping folks to become comfortable with change and with leading change in over 20 countries on five continents. While his primary role is as a leadership coach for executives and teams, he also enjoys tending to his garden, dancing Argentine tango with his wife. You'll hear in this interview that Thomas is really focused on the importance of connection and how leaders really need to promote connection in the workplace. Speaking of connection, I want to share with you a complimentary course that's being offered by this episode's People First partner, WorkSmart. WorkSmart is hosting a creative innovation masterclass for leaders in the corporate and nonprofit sectors so more people can have access to the impact of bringing creativity to work. This is going to give people a chance to have their voice heard and find new ways to collaborate, especially in this virtual world. Again, this course is complimentary. There's no upsell. There's no pitch. You only have to pay for the materials and shipping. This course starts in the new year, 2021. So you have to be sure to sign up before the holidays so you can get all the materials mailed to you. Registration link is in the show notes. So make sure you don't miss out and I'll see you there. And without anything further to do, let's dive into this episode. Hey, Thomas. Nice to have you on the podcast. It's wonderful to be here today. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're we're in a interesting time uh, currently in our society, uh, no matter which way you look at it. And so it's great to be able to connect with amazing leaders like yourself. And yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Thank you. Likewise. So first, first thing I like to do to kick it off, what does it mean to you to lead people first? For me, it really boils down to four elements. One, very broadly speaking, it's taking others into consideration and continuously and consistently inviting others. This is really what I mean by taking others into consideration, inviting others into new possibilities and new opportunities for coordination and collaboration. And that becomes basically an improvisational dance. Mm-hmm. It's going to show up differently on each day. It's, it's going to be, you know, a bit of give and take. People are going to show up and they're going to be able to co-create with you. Yeah. Rather than saying, I said this, you have to do that. 
and it's it's a very it's a very different way of showing up and so for me there's a deep listening that needs to occur for that to be successful and those are really the the four main elements listening to yourself and then being able to listen to others so that you know how might be the most effective way to invite them into new possibilities new opportunities yeah when you look at uh, you know, what you just said, especially about inviting others into these new possibilities, it's a drastic shift to what traditionally management has been and leadership has been, right? Mm -hmm. It's like you said, I say this, I make the decisions, you go and do the work. But as we're moving it, or as we have already moved into the current way of working where we're much more flexible, we're much more agile, and we're much more flexible and cross-functional across organizations, it's this dance that leaders need to be able to do and have and the skill where they need to just be able to adapt and have that improv mindset. Right. And so that's something that is missing. I mean, I honestly, like even myself uh, from a, like a facilitation standpoint and a leader standpoint, like I want to take improv classes because being able to change that part of your brain to be able to be more adaptable and to say yes, rather than no, no, no all the time mm -hmm. is something that's, um, at least for me, a skill I want to be able to get better at. So maybe it just boils down to one thing. Yes. And right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So how did you learn to lead people first? How did you get to where you are today? I feel just reflecting on that question. I feel there are two seeds that started my journey. One was just being around and observing my maternal grandfather growing up and just seeing how he interacted with others and how he was able to communicate with folks, work with folks from a wide range of backgrounds, cultures. Uh, he was able to have a good time and communicate even when they didn't share the same language. It was kind of uh, mind boggling for me as a kid. And also the other seed coming from a comment that I heard my dad say frequently, which was, it doesn't matter the person's title. Treat them with respect. Yes. And, you know, for him, when he, you know, he just shared stories of what, how that had helped him when he was, working on in graduate school and working at odd hours because he was able to get support from staff to do some of the research he was doing in graduate school. And just being able to go in and to a situation professionally for me after I graduated from college and being able to say, oh, okay, so who are you? Well, I'm the cleaner. Okay, well, that's fine, you know, but just being able to understand, okay, so it doesn't matter if someone's janitorial staff or a titled executive, they're just a human being at the end of the day. So how can I show up in a way that honors their labor, their contribution, and how might they also feel like they're helping me a little bit more and feel good about being able to support me. And I, you know, that was certainly true for me as I uh, did international work, whether in Peace Corps or, or afterwards. So. Honoring others, 
especially the way that they want to be honored. And I love the way that you put it where, you know, you're, you're really recognizing what they bring to the table is, is something that is, is a skill that I don't think a lot of people have. And so that's very unique, although it's something that I think everyone should have. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. You look at, if we look at some of the basic like HR processes that kind of uh, reflect that you look at things like, like hiring, right. You, you know, you, you don't do this anymore, but if you brought someone into the office mm-hmm. and they interact with the receptionist, they interact with other staff, um, really great organizations will also ask those people, Hey, how did they treat you? Mm-hmm. Right? Did they interact and do you think that they add value to our organization? And if you treat those people poorly, those are automatic like no's, like no, we don't want you here mm-hmm. because clearly you have a sense of entitlement or, or superiority, whatever it is. So it's really important um, to live that. And I, I also love that lesson that you learned with your, from your grandfather. That's something that I, like I've learned from my dad um, is he can talk to anyone, anywhere, everywhere, no matter where. And so much like to the extreme where like our family will not sit with him on airplanes anymore, (laughs) (laughs) especially those longer trips, because all he'll do is talk. And Uh so we, we, we put that burden on strangers. (laughs) We'll put that burden on strangers because, you know, my dad will just talk with them and engage with them and, and, and really just kind of see them who, for who they are. And it's, it's an amazing skill. It's something that I, I can't do naturally. I have to really force myself to do, but that's a, that's something that I, I definitely ad- admire as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's uh, <laughs> pointing your dad off on strangers on the airplane. I love it. <laughs> hey, it, it really helped when we, uh, when our family switched over to Southwest, right? And and with me having status, I would bring like my wife and then my mom with me, <laughs> and then and then be like, okay, dad, like you're okay, like back in your section, you you board when you need to board, and by the time he gets on the plane, like all of our seats around us are full. <laughs> he's gonna he's gonna know our strategy now once he hears this episode. <laughs> Well, maybe he enjoys it too. You know, maybe it's just an opportunity to meet new people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's a true extrovert for sure. Uh, well, getting away from my, <laughs> from yes. my parents uh, and me, you know, something that you really focus on is is coaching others and helping others uh, and executives specifically become more self-aware and become better individuals to be able to lead their teams in a more productive and successful way. So. I know that you've shared a lot in your content and your posts about safety, specifically things like psychological safety. Mm -hmm. Why is safety so important in the employee experience and how do leaders, how can leaders promote it more? Mm. Such a beautiful question, especially in these jittery times. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So just looking at so safety, just to answer, like, why is it so important? Humans are, we're hardwired to seek safety, belonging, and dignity. And that's how we know that we are part, we belong to something larger. Mm-hmm. So we're always seeking that. And when we don't have that safety, we can't relax. 
and we're uncertain as to whether we're actually we actually belong and so they, that in turn questions whether we actually hold any dignity in the eyes of others around us so if you want someone to be in a co-creative space that is really you know and, and co-creation right so a, a collaborative space i want to make the distinction between teamwork and collaboration just very briefly here teamwork you have a strong leader and very defined roles mm -hmm. that people fulfill with certain by doing certain tasks collaboration is a co-learning and co-creation process where everybody brings the gifts the knowledge the experiences that they have and they explore together and together they discover what the path forward looks like and you can't do that if you can't relax and so having that safety is absolutely essential and what i work with my clients on a lot is helping them recognize what's going on with themselves first one of my teachers shared with me well shared broadly not just with me but has shared that you know one of the most important things when we're listening right what an important skill for leaders is that we keep 70 60 70 percent of our the attention on ourselves and how our body not just our mind but how our body and our heart are responding in the moment and just noticing oh if what they're saying what this other person is saying is that causing me to get tense is that causing me to uh, feel a certain emotion mm -hmm. and just being aware of that so that i can then tune into what's going on for them and just being able so we have to have that self-awareness and really understand how we're showing up and what our energetic projection is whether we're virtual or in person and that way we can have that space to recognize oh when i do this when i show up this way this person gets nervous or this person shuts down or it becomes a question and not a statement. Yeah. And so what am I getting, am I getting in my way or my team's way as a leader? That's important to know. And if I really want to collaborate with somebody because no one person has all the answers, then what do I need to do to show up in a way that allows for that safety mm -hmm. and honors the dignity and the, the potential and historical contribution of a particular person. So that's, that's how I, that's what I, that's something that I feel is really important is just being able to know ourselves first. Yeah, that there's a lot to unpack there. Let me go back real quick to that safety elements. Sure. Um, you know, where we want this, you, you say the sense of belonging, right? And when mm -hmm. we look at things like the employee experience, and especially when we look at things like diversity, equity, and inclusion, that sense of belonging is drastically currently understated and overlooked. Mm -hmm. Because again, you want to have a sense as an employee and as an individual, as you say, this sense of safety and, and dependability 
within your group or within your tribe. I like using the term tribe in this sense, uh, stealing it from a, a fellow podcaster, Heather Parody, where um, having a tribe allows this group, uh, like-minded people to really get together and that you know that you have each other's backs, right? I think that's something that a lot of, something that is overlooked as well is the sense of loyalty from a, not from a, a, you know, loyalty from employees for the organization, but the other way around. Employees want their managers and their team members to have their back, Mm -hmm. right? And that is a sense of safety, right? Like you think, I think personally of my time when I was younger doing retail and food service, and anytime you had a crappy customer, all you wanted was your manager or your team to have your back, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, having that sense of safety allows you to bring your full self to work, allows you to build trust, allows you to become better and be more curious within the moment and within the group, which allows for innovation and growth and, you know, all all the amazing things that happen. And, and it's really something that, again, it's, it's not looked at from a serious standpoint, because I think it, it's hard to put it into a, you know, a business strategy standpoint. And when you look at self-awareness, I know that that's something that you talk about a lot as well. That's something I, I really like to focus on. I feel like I was lucky because I did self-reflect quite a bit, especially before I graduated college, is I went through this period of self-reflection to really figure out who I was, what I was going to do before, you know, before I graduated, after I graduated, those, those sorts of things. But that's something that's not taught, <laughs> you know, that's something that isn't focused on in trainings and leadership development, at least not the ones that I've attended. So how do we help leaders cultivate and develop that skill of self-awareness for not even the betterment of themselves, but for the betterment of their teams and their personal lives? Mm-hmm. So first I want to share that the, we are what we practice. So whatever we keep doing is what the body, the heart, the mind is, this is what is normal. This is how we respond to the stimuli or these stimuli. And if we are focused more on throughput rather than human connection, that's what happens. Um, this doesn't get taught. And there is a, a very strong correlation done by, you know, that has been shown by repeat, uh, multiple uh, organizations and multiple studies that those that are more human centric mm-hmm. are more aware of how they are, you know, if their people are flourishing, the organization is going to flourish. And that's true. It's not just like be a nice place to work. It's actually, this is what's going to help you as an organization flourish because people are going to feel like others have their back and that they are being honored for their contribution and that they belong to something larger. We want to belong to something larger than we are. So one way to cultivate, so there are a few ways that you can do this. So one is 
it, it's a process that I worked through, but so a, there are a couple of simple ways to take baby steps towards building your own self-awareness as a leader. So one is just taking a moment. So, you know, whether you're taking a, a turn away from your desk or you're in between calls, just taking a few deep breaths, closing your eyes and turn your awareness and your attention towards the sensations in your body, pressure, movement, temperature, and energy flow. Is the energy flowing or is it stuck someplace? Just notice there's no judging here. Just start building like what's going on and seeing what your body and your heart are telling you about what's going on for you and how your body's responding. Um, you could notice the timbre of your voice. So if you're really stressed, it might feel like this. And I don't know if you can hear the difference, but by squeezing your chest, your voice moves up and it becomes more nasal. As you lower your voice into the throat, it changes. But when you're really centered and moving from center, you're going to be in a lower resonant place, which is more your chest. Yeah. and your your abdomen and so that um those are two ways that you can just start to become more aware of what's going on for you in the moment and noticing in certain react in certain situations can you start engaging the that question and it's like okay when i'm having this difficult conversation with one of my team members or with another colleague in my my company what are the sensations that are coming up for me what is it like to have head, heart, and body online at the same time? Yeah. And that can be really, really powerful because then we start to know with one of my clients, for instance, to, to ground this, when we started working together, he was able to notice in a meeting, like, oh, this meeting is stressing me out. By the time we finished, he was able to recognize that he was getting stressed a week ahead. And, oh, like, so the body is telling me something. So how can I turn around these sensations? It's like, okay, so what am I nervous about? Because then you have time, you have space, and you can breathe. And I feel like that's also something else that is, going back to the whole throughput question, we are demanded by our technology you know, commanded by the technology to always be on, to always be moving, to always be producing something, but it isn't necessarily effective. So we're swapping effectiveness for efficiency. And that doesn't allow us space. And by slowing down, we actually find that there is more space and that time can be spacious. Not to say that there isn't a lot to accomplish, but it's what are the really big rocks here that we need to move? What, you know, what's not got sucked into counting the sand grains? Let's get, let's focus on the rocks. Yeah. I, as you were, as you were sharing that, I could feel my own self, right? Just like coming back to myself. And that I think that mindfulness practice is something that we do need to bring forward and prioritize, not even just at work, 
mm-hmm. but also in schools. I mean, there's been studies in schools that show that rather than disciplining children by putting them in detention and suspending them, right, where they lose education hours, you help them meditate and you help them become more mindful of what is happening and the emotions that they're feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I mean, I just bought a, my daughter a book um, and it's all about mindfulness, right? It, it's, you know, where the, the character in the book says, you know, close your eyes, smell in the flowers and then blow out the candles, right? And, and so it's, this is, some, this is a practice that I've started doing in this last six months. This is something that I'm trying to pass on to my, my kids where it is okay to feel the emotions you're feeling mm-hmm. and you recognize, and then it's even more important to recognize it and see, evaluate, is this the appropriate response? Not only just for others around me, but for myself. Right. right. Is this is this the direction that I want to be going? Mm-hmm. Um, and being very aware of that is, is very important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's a I like to use the analogy of a, of a surfer, and you know it is so easy for us to say I'm angry or I'm sad. It's like well, when you say I'm something, you're identifying with that emotion, yeah. and so it takes all of you with it. Whereas if you're thinking about swimming in the ocean or on a surfboard, you're like, okay, the wave is carrying me and I am feeling anger, sadness, frustration, happiness, joy, whatever it happens to be. And then the wave moves through me. Yeah. But if you let the wave carry you, you're going to be the one like crashing on the beach. Yeah. <laughs> and it that. hurts. <laughs> I love that. So I have to ask, you know, you bring up all those emotions and, and identifying emotions. What were your thoughts about the Pixar movie Inside Out? <laughs> <laughs> it's a wonderful way to start thinking about these emotions and how we can so easily get taken by the emotions, right? Yeah. But it starts with a feeling. The emotion happens later. Yeah. And it's not to say that when we are centered, that we aren't angry or we aren't sad. It's not the absence of emotion, but it's recognizing that you have the space, as you were saying, Chris, to choose how you're engaging in the moment. What is the most appropriate way for you to turn around and respond in this moment? and to have the space to be able to do that. Otherwise, it's, it's like an emotional whack-a-mole. It's like, okay, angry, bam, you know, push that down, suppress it. Oh, you know, I don't want to feel frustrated, right? And, and that's not productive either. Right? Yeah. But just recognizing that these energies need to move through the body. And if we just wait, there was a... Um, uh, they'll pass. There was a psychologist. Uh, I, I saw an interview with a psychologist a, a, a few months ago. Uh, she was down in LA and she basically said that we can run through eight or nine emotions in 45 seconds. So can you just take a few breaths for 45 seconds and just, okay, so this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm noticing. These are the pressure I'm feeling, you know, to my chest or in my legs, it's in my back, wherever it happens to be. And just, okay. And now it's dissipating. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
now how would it be most effective for me to engage here? Yeah. Yeah, I, I really like that um, as you were thinking about that and going back to a little bit what you just, what you had said earlier about feeling emotions, especially that client that you had feeling emotions, you know, a week before that, that really resonated with me, especially when I do talks, right, is you have a buildup of emotion up until that point. And in that moment for me, before I go and do a, a, a speaking gig or whatever it might be, a, a training class, I have all this anxiety and these nerves, which a lot of people like, you know, have, but it's probably just this like buildup, right? Of, of constant emotion where when it finally gets to that point, it's overwhelming and it causes people to freeze or freak out or whatever it might be. And so when, when we look at things like, you know, being aware of those, those feelings, physical or mental or emotional, and being able to reconnect with ourselves, I know that that's something that you really want to focus on or you're focusing on now. Mm-hmm. And the importance of, you know, how do we reconnect to ourselves in order to reconnect with others, in order to reconnect with, with the society as a whole and the planet? So can you speak more about the importance of reconnection and, and why we need to do that? Sure. When we reconnect to ourselves, we are really reconnecting. We're getting out of our heads and we're starting to remember, you know, as, as children, we are born into a family and that has a certain culture that where certain things are taboo, certain things are get approval, certain things uh, uh, are okay. And we, under, we learn to engage with others in a certain way. We understand who others are and what you're supposed to do in the world as a, as a person. And over time, right, that's, over, that's laid with, overlaid with cultural and societal cues. And we start to forget who we are. And so we are taught, you know, we, we, in this society, we grow up and we stay in our head. And by reconnecting to our heart and our body, all three neural centers, we start to recognize more of ourselves. We start to see who is underneath these, these layers, right? In order to survive as a child, to protect from overwhelm, uh, we showed up a certain way. But it isn't necessarily who we are. And so reconnecting to ourselves can help us understand how we're getting in our own way and how a survival strategy that might have worked when we were four, five, six no longer serves us yeah. and how it's triggered and how, so that way we can start choosing. You can say, thank you. You, you kept me protected and safe all this time. I no longer need you. I'm an adult. And then you can start practicing a new way, right? As I said earlier, we are what we practice. So practicing 300 times gets it into muscle memory, 3000 times it starts to get into your, soma and your it's really hardwired neurologically so we practice that and we reconnect to ourselves and then we can start to see how we're connecting to others 
And once we know who we are, it's a lot easier to recognize the shared humanity in another human being. Mm -hmm. And that's going to allow us to have a different conversation about, I don't know, what's going on in the school board or what's going on in a particular company or a particular team or what's going on on a, a state, national or international level. Mm -hmm. And it's going to facilitate, simply put, a weaving of a social fabric, which I believe is really important because yeah. it is really <laughs> the social fabric, particularly in this country, I feel has been torn apart. So how can we start to knit back together? And so those, start ha those conversations start happening in smaller uh, circles and there's that, that spillover effect that ripples out yeah. and then reconnecting to the planet because we have forgotten in our modernity, I would say since indust the industrial revolution, we have tried to stay away from nature, but the reality is we are very much part of nature. We get our food from nature, we get our water from nature, we are made of those same elements you know, even in a chemical or physical perspective. And from dust to dust, we are part of nature. And so what is our relationship with the planet? Yeah. And how does that reflect our relationship with each other and with ourself yeah. individually? I mean, to steal from Lion King, right? It's, those, it's the circle of life, right? I mean, it, everything you know, we start, you know, when we're young, going, going through life and growing and, and taking things from our environments. And we really have to be mindful of what we're, how much we're taking, the, the, where we're taking it from, mm -hmm. um, the methods of how we're taking it, and then how, what we're putting back, right? I mean, you look at just in general, we take a lot of these uh, elements and, and materials from natural, uh, natural materials that then get thrown back into the garbage, into the landfill. And then you look again, you know, 10, 20, 30 years down the line, what, what does that leave us, right? I mean, that leaves us with a world that's just littered, mm -hmm. quite, literally, quite literally with garbage. And so it's very important to think, well, what is that future state of our own selves going to be if we don't start thinking about it now? So the, the question, the next question I want to ask you is, you know, what do you tell leaders that you work with or organizations that you work with who respond to what you do about reconnecting, being self-aware that this is too emotional or this is too like woo-woo? Like, what do you tell them? Well, if it's too woo-woo, um, we might not work together, but it also depends on, you know, who, what they expect a coach to be. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there are those who assume that coaching is, well, I'm a coach. I'm going to tell you what you do and you're going to do it. Mm -hmm. And that isn't the type of coaching that I do. I really start to, I learn to understand who the human is. And then I, start to 
create that path towards a co-creation of self-discovery for them as a client. But when it feels too woo, too woo-woo, I also point towards the fact that coaching, when effective, is going to improve decision-making. As a leader, do you want to make better decisions? Mm-hmm. Is that going to, are you struggling uh, with your team with high staff turnover? Burnout, are you feeling burnout? Are other staff members on your team you know, members experiencing burnout? Do you have a lot of sick days? Those yep. are all direct bottom line costs to the company. Yep. And you know, what would it be like if you had a community, a real sense of community on the people that, with the te- people that you managed that were, where they were super creative, where they were collaborative? What would that do for innovation? What new top line opportunities would that provide for you? Is that not enough of a risk to not do the coaching? Yeah. Right? (laughs) (laughs) Right? If you think you're doing fine, then you probably wouldn't be talking to me. Yeah. If you're concerned or somebody else is, is, is talking to me because they're concerned about you, because sometimes that does happen, you know, whether that's an HR uh, business partner or, or uh, a, a superior who's concerned about one of their executive reports, then how does that, right? There's an issue there. It's like it, it, could, it can boil down to productivity yeah. and decision-making and the number of sick days or what have you, right? So staff turnover, all of these you know, top and bottom line opportunities that need to be taken into consideration. Yeah, absolutely. Really good points. Uh, you know, the last question I want to ask is, what is the impact that you're looking to leave? So I really, so the impact I really want to have, and this is what you touched on in terms of the ethos of my work, reconnect to yourself so we more easily connect to each other so we can reconnect to the planet. That's really the impact I want to have. I want to be able to help people starting with their families, their communities, their teams, their organizations, start having more challenging conversations because that's what we need to have. And that's what, as a country, we have been avoiding for, since its founding and before. Yeah. And how do we move forward from this point, regardless of who enters the Oval Office in January? How do we move forward from here in an effective way to build back better? and to heal and to create a sense of safety for all beings, yeah. for all people, so that there is dignity for everyone. Yeah. Yeah, I can't agree more, especially from the sense that, again, no matter which side, quote unquote, wins, we have a lot of healing to do. We have mm-hmm. a lot of reconnecting with each other to do. We need to start having really, really honest and difficult conversations, especially from the standpoint of what you said, what you said exactly of, we need everyone to have the sense of safety and dignity to be able to help them self-actualize and reconnect and be able to grow. And if half of the country does not feel that way, we need to find ways to mend those bridges and bring everyone along. So 
what I mean, I can't end it on a better note than that. <laughs> you put it so well. So what, uh, and speaking of connecting, where can people connect with you? Sure. So uh, my medium handle is at T is in Thomas Ellison, uh, London Rosenberg, B-E-R-G. And you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, my website is regenerate.coach. Again, regenerate.coach. And uh, so those are, the, those are the three primary places. And happy to have a conversation if you want to reach out through the website and, and schedule a time to chat. I'd be happy to chat to any, with anyone who, who might be curious and wanting more. Yeah. Wonderful. Thomas, thank you again so much for coming on the Leading People First podcast. This was really great to have you on it and learn more about reconnecting and becoming more self-aware. So thank you for coming on. My pleasure, Chris. Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Leading People First podcast. If there was one big takeaway I got from talking with Thomas, it was the importance of connecting with ourselves. Connecting with ourselves means being aware of our thoughts, emotions, movements, and reactions. This leads to building a better connection with those around us and ultimately a better employee experience. If you want to hear more about Thomas's work, make sure you connect with him. All of his information is below in the show notes. I'm glad you're joining me on this journey exploring how leadership affects the employee experience. Make sure you hit subscribe and be sure to share this episode with someone who needs to hear more about Thomas's work and his message. Keep leading people first and stay awesome.